I think that's the first time that's ever been said. I, I got some value out of a LinkedIn newsletter. So uh, <laughs> m- maybe I can get a LinkedIn sponsorship or something for that. I'll be the first. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Catalyst, the Launch by NTT Data podcast. I'm Gina Trapani, and as always, I'm joined by my business partner, Chris Lasacco. Hey, Chris. Hey, Gina. How you doing? Great. How are you? I'm doing great. We're here in the New York City office. We're sitting across the table from one another, which is such a delightful treat. It's a wonderful These days, thing. It's a really wonderful thing. Looks another human being in the face. Yeah. I'm very excited about the episode today because we have a very special guest. I know. Someone whose work we have both admired for a long time. It's true. This is a heavy hitter this, in the design yeah, this community. Is, this is a big one. I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> Does that mean I care? I think that's, that means I, I care. That means you care. Yeah. Welcome, Dan Mall. Hey, Dan. Hello. Hello, Gina. Thank you. Uh, hello, Chris. I'm also fangirling over here, too. So you both are OGs, <laughs> and I'm excited to, to sit across from you virtually. I'm not in the same room as you all, but maybe one day, maybe one day soon. It's, That's right. it's wonderful to see you, even in a box on the screen. And I got to tell you, our listeners can't see you, but you have just such a good camera setup, the lighting, the depth of field. This is the thing. I just, I I just want everyone to know. The show. Like, this is I, just a premium experience we're having right now. Top notch. I feel like I'm talking to someone who's in a studio. Like, yeah. I, I'm so inadequate right now and with I'm my sure it's like, your webcam. Home. <laughs> yes, this is, that's right. This is my home. But, you know, if anybody wants a studio in a box, too, I wrote a blog post about this. So maybe we can link it up in the show notes. It's so good. We will definitely yes, link it up. That's perfect. We will link it up because I was like, I need Dan's camera setup, and like lighting setup. Like this is good. It looks it's really do- good. It's documented <laughs> somewhere. So yes, anyone can have access to it. Dan, we're thrilled to have you on the show. You are a design leader. You are a voice in the community. And I feel like design kind of hems you in. I mean, you've been a creative director. You were a founder of, of an agency, ran an agency for, for many years. So I feel a kinship with you in, mm-hmm. in that sense. And, you know, to me, I followed your work for a long time. I really never thought this sentence would come out of my mouth. I love your LinkedIn newsletter. Uh, it's so good. Dan Mall teaches. You know, my, my team is probably getting tired of me linking to it in our Slack channel, being like, look at this thing that Dan wrote. This is really smart. Um, I can vouch for this. Yeah, That's true. It's true. I share a lot of links to your newsletter. I love that you have a new parenting site out that I love. The design is so good. And the voice is so good. And you're here today because you've just released a new book, which I'm really excited to talk about. Tell us about the book. What's the book called? Yeah, cool. So the book is called Design That Scales. And the subtitle is Creating a Sustainable Design System Practice. Uh, It's published by my friends at Rosenfeld Media. This is like right up their alley and their readers and and stuff. And so they were kind enough to let me write this book with them. It's basically a book about design systems. There are a lot of really good books about design systems out there too. And I didn't want to rewrite one of those. So basically, this is my book of stories, my own stories about Mm. design systems too. It's less of a nuts and bolts, here are the definitions, although there's a couple of things like that in there. And it's more about like, okay, so how do we actually do this in practice? How do we do it in a way that big enterprises that are invested in designing at scale, like what are some stories that they can be inspired by so that they can figure out how to make it applicable to them? So that's the book that I wanted to write. It was a long time coming, uh, way longer than I expected to do the writing process. It always but is. I'm happy that it's in my hands. That's awesome. It's exciting. Yeah, it's always great when you can hold up a physical thing and say, I, I made, made this, this, you know. Also uh, terrifying. So, yeah, especially as like a, a digital designer, right? Like I'm just making a lot mm-hmm. of things that are digital and feel ephemeral and it's just ones and zeros. It's like, I got 
two boxes shipped to my house that I had to cut open and yeah. like I got to hold a book in my hand. So that that felt pretty That's special. Very, very cool. It really is. So we got a copy of the book. We were able to look through it. It's Great. really good. It jumped out to me that it's not a nuts and bolts book. It's not a how-to guide. Like there are some practical tips on implementing design systems, but it's really much more about the the rationale around what and why would you want one of these, um, which is really interesting. Yeah. And early on, you make this point about design system like ghost towns, right? Where it's like, you know, there are lots of trial and error that you see when you look inside of a company of all of these different groups who have done something, but it hasn't really come to fruition. And I'm curious, like, yeah. was that part of your motivation to be like, I've seen it done wrong a lot of the time and I want to write down how you can do it right? I'm surveying the graveyard and I need to make it right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I think my my advantage as a consultant is that I've seen a lot of different design systems and how they work and how the, the shape of them and who works on them and, and all that stuff. And I think that's the advantage that I bring to a team when I work with them is like, I'll never know as much about their design system or their culture as they will. Like, no matter how long I'm there, because they just live with it and, and I don't. What I hope that I bring to the table is like, well, I've seen 400 of these. And so let me tell you some of the patterns, you know, that emerge mm -hmm. from this. And as you mentioned, almost everyone does it wrong, you know, for a lots of different reasons. And that's not because they're they're stupid. You know, it's not because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, it is a bit of an ignorance in that a lot of times it's a company or a team's first try at design systems. And so of course, they don't know what they're doing. You know, of course, like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in like the most positive way. And so they do the things that feels most intuitive. And what feels most intuitive for a lot of designers and engineers who are usually the ones starting a design system is like, I don't know, we got to make some stuff, right? So let's make some stuff. And it ends up working at a small scale. And then they go like, well, it works for us. And so let's figure out how we spread this around the company. And then that's where things usually go wrong. It's like they don't treat it like an internal product. They treat it like an internal project. And so it doesn't really have legs of its own. And so what they end up doing is they end up... This, the project is successful. So they go, well, let's do a bigger project. And then they make lots of general components like buttons and tables and footers and headers. And, also, and then they build this big monolith. And then no one uses it. And so that, you know, that's what I call a design system ghost town. It's like you built this entire town. It just wasn't close enough to water. So like, you know, no one ever wants to live there because it's just not connected to any source of life. And I think that's a thing that people just don't know because they've never done anything like that before. So I wanted to expose some of those stories and say like, this is what happens. It's cool if it happens to you. Like it's natural. Most of the organizations that I've worked with with design systems are on their third or fourth yeah, try at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I want to normalize a lot of that stuff and just say like, it's cool. Here are some stories that it will help you maybe get it on your second try or maybe your first try. You don't have to learn from your own mistakes. Maybe you can learn from other people's mistakes and, and then hopefully learn from your own successes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I want to go back to basics. So we're talking about design systems and I, I really love the way you laid this out in the book. So that for the folks that, that don't really know a lot about what that means, right? So like, you know, I, I, you use this great example in the book about Google products, right? When you use a Google product, you know, the search box, the action button, the hamburger menu, the start, whatever it is, they all feel and look the same across products. And that's good. That's good for everyone because people just know how to use all, all you know, Google products, right? And that's true for lots of different companies and systems. And so, you know, when you're thinking about a design system, you've got a company that produces two or more digital products, right? And so the system is like, how do we create that kind of unified, on a small scale, <laughs> how do we create that unified look and feel? So the user knows what to do and feels at home and is like, oh, I, I get this. I see what I have to do next. So I love how you laid out that 
you know, you've got design teams inside of big orgs. Product teams are often small teams in silos. They are building their own thing. And we're all systems thinkers, right? We're product people. We're like, how do we make this a little bit more standardized? How do we, you know, make this a little bit more efficient? How do we make these components a little bit more reusable, right? And these are how the design systems start to spring up. But, But they're often happening in the different silos, right? It seems sounds like you've seen this, Dan, where you've got a couple of different systems happening at different levels of maturity in different parts of an org that are early here. And this contributes to the ghost towns. It's not just one ghost town. It's like a (laughs) a collection of little ghost towns um, that can happen over time. And the thing that I think really made such a huge impression on me, because I come from an engineering background, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought this through. I went into the book thinking, oh, this is going to be a book about making buttons and forms and headers and footers. But what it is actually about is organizational change mm-hmm. and design systems as a practice. When you talk about project to product, that makes a lot of sense to me. I get that a project has a deadline and then it's done. A product is a continuously iterative thing. But a practice is a is even a bigger thing. That's a cultural, that's a mindset a shift. A way of working. A way of working. Yeah. And that was like, oh, that was my like moment in my head because you know, we talked to a lot of execs uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> at our clients. And that's, I think, a really useful framing for what a design system is and what it's supposed to do. I think part of the danger of design systems is that we don't have a lot of parallels for what they are. So like the closest is like, oh, it's like a library of stuff, right? It's like a code library. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a part of it. But that's like, that's really selling it short there. Um, I wish I had come across this quote when I was writing the book. It was it's from my friend Lauren Lepret, who uh, at the time was at Dropbox running the design system team there. And in her talk for Figma's conference, she said, design systems are cultural change disguised as a UI kit. Mm. Wow. I love quoting that line. It's because of that that we like we relate it to projects or we relate it to tools, right? Those are all kinds of design systems. And that's what's difficult about even defining them is like, there are some tools that can be considered design systems and some templates and some products and projects and services. Those are all kinds of design systems. And a practice is a different kind of one, you know? And so it depends which, which kind of one we're talking about. And it's that cultural change piece. The, the closest that I've seen, the closest parallel that I can make to design systems is Agile. Mm. Um, I think that's the closest. It's like, in order to implement Agile at an organization, you have to change your whole way of doing things. Like you have to get training, right? You have to have people get like, learn the the processes and all that stuff. And then you can implement different kinds of rituals later on. And that's like, you know, whether you're Kanban or you're Scrum or you're XP or, you know, whatever flavor of Agile you decide to implement and whatever rituals you decide to adopt, as an organization, you sort of have to adopt the idea first. And then you can start to bring in the tools and, okay, we're going to use Jira this way. We're going to use Trello this way, you know, whatever the tools that you have with that. But that's the closest parallel that I found is it requires everyone to buy into that way of working. And even Agile isn't quite at the scale that design systems are because Agile, oftentimes when people do Agile, organizations who aren't doing Agile very well, what it means is design is waterfall and product is waterfall. And then when we get to engineering, it's Agile, right? That's like, right. That's right. So, okay, you're like, okay, close enough. That's fine. But I struggle to find a parallel where design, product, and engineering have to buy into a shared way of doing things. And that's what I think is so hard about design system work. But it's so critical because those teams have to work together. That collaboration between those teams, those cross-functional teams, it's critical. It's the the name of the the game. Yeah. Yeah, It's the name of the game. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to bring this back down, though. Like, 
is there a better way to do it, right? Like, because we're talking about some very big, lofty, like, hey, we have to change the way our organization works to do this, right? And I think that's intimidating. Like, that is, you know, if I'm thinking about, you know, running a, a small team within a large company and figuring out how to, like, upend the culture to be like, no, we're going to think in a, you know, design systems first mentality. Like, that's hard. And not a lot of people will have the, organizational capital to be able to just push that through. And, and I think fortitude and, and fortitude, right. You <laughs> yeah. got to like break down right. a lot of barriers to, to really have that happen. But I think, you know, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dan, but like your approach is a little different actually, right? You don't say let's step back and solve all the problems and then force this on people, right? There's a different way to go about it. So can we talk about like, what, what do you think works here? So I think one of the biggest changes that an organization has to adopt to do good design system work, a lot of times for me, I'm like, let's not even talk about design system work because no one knows what that is, right? It's such a new thing. It's been around for, I guess, design systems as an idea have been around for centuries, right? Cave paintings are design systems. But like in digital, maybe it's been around for the last 10 years and certainly popularized over the last five. So it's still relatively new. So we have to put that aside because when we say, "Let's let's do good design system work, everyone thinks something different about that. So maybe something that's a little bit more familiar is like, internally at big organizations at enterprises, we have to adopt more of a product way of thinking or maybe more of a startup way of thinking. And that in itself is really tough for a lot of organizations. Like entrepreneurialism inside a big organization is almost non-existent. And so I think that's the thing. If I were to boil it down into like, what should we do first? Well, what would a startup do if they were building a new product? The first thing they would do is they would talk to a bunch of customers. Good startups, I guess, right? Like they would talk to a customers and they would just go like, what are the pains that actually exist here? They might have some hypotheses. They might build a couple of prototypes to test some things out. But before they got too far, they would go like, let's make sure we're actually solving a problem for a person or a team, or, you know, in a small way. And then if that works, then we'll build more around that, and we'll scale that, and we'll figure that. And if that doesn't work, we'll pivot, and we'll build something else. So that's the way that I suggest for a design system team to work, is like, <laughs> what most people do is they go, let's do something that's the most widespread ever, which is button. Let's let's tackle button mm, components. Let's make the one button like, that's going to be the button yeah. everywhere. <laughs> right. It's like, how adorable you know, that you think you can, you know, <laughs> like there's a lot of problems with, with button. One is that first, no one wants someone else to solve button for them. Like any designer and engineer is like, I, I got button. You know, I think I'm all right on that. Whether or not they're right, you know, they're like, I don't need someone else to solve button for me. Um, and that's how you end up with 400 different kinds of buttons across an organization is everybody thinks they can do it. And so they do it their own way. But the other thing is, even if people did say, okay, we do need an external internal team to solve button for us. So you think that your first component, before you serve anyone, you're now immediately going to turn the fire hose on and then solve button for 400 designers and engineers? Like, what startup would immediately adopt 400 customers? Like, it's a bad way to scale things. It's just like, you don't want to turn the fire hose on like that. You want to control, you want to throttle. Well, let's work with like, let's solve it for like two or three folks right now. And then maybe we'll expand to six and then 12 and then 18 and, and then go from there. And that's an entrepreneurial way of thinking. That's a startup way of thinking. And that kind of thinking usually doesn't exist inside of enterprise or, or it's few and far between. And so that's the place that I would start. Is like, let's find one specific thing that we can do, not one general thing that we can do. And I think design system teams are generally prone to want to solve general, generic, mm. abstract things. Yes. And it's like, you, you can't solve abstract things if you don't solve the specific things first. Let's solve the specific things and then let's figure out how we can abstract it and, and scale it a little bit more. That's such good advice. Right. So find your first customer and then expand. That's right. Second customer, third customer. At right? some point, you have to get a leader to say, 
here's your budget and time to work on this thing. And that point might not be in the beginning. Yes. I mean, that's a reality of big orgs, but that makes a lot of sense that you get started by finding yeah. your first customers. Well, but does a design system necessarily need a dedicated team? Like, is that the only way they're successful? Is if they have a team that is wholly focused on building, maintaining, evolving, enhancing the system? Let me ask a question back to you. Does Gmail need a dedicated team? <laughs> it does. Yeah, does a product need a dedicated team, right? Like, it's a product. It's a product. Like, that, that feels like a no-brainer. Like, yeah, yeah, I hope Gmail has a dedicated team. Like, because I don't want Gmail to go away. Right. Right. So if Gmail needs a dedicated team, and of course, Gmail is a massive scale, but if we want design systems to be massive scale within an organization, and not just within, but all the vendors that you might be working with and like outside of the organization as well, shouldn't it have a dedicated team too? Shouldn't there be people that work on it at least for the majority of their time, if not full time? A couple of people, they have a roadmap, they have a budget, they have longevity, they don't get pulled from project to project. Like, that's what I want for the Gmail team. I want it for Zoom. You know, I want it for every product that I use all the time. I hope that they have a dedicated team there. So why is it different for design systems? And I think that's that's the difference in thinking on like, you know, well, if it's just a project, we don't need a dedicated team, right? We just need people to have six weeks here and there to, to carve off, you know, maybe part-time. But if it's a real product that has a roadmap that we want to improve, that it has versioning and has version control and is package managed and it's all that stuff, you know, if we want Gmail to have it, why not the design system too? I mean, it's, it's a great point. I want to play devil's advocate, though, and I want to be an executive, Excellent. like Excellent. like an executive that we would work with, okay? I'm a digital leader in a large enterprise. I've got quarterly goals, and I've got to ship a thing, a mm. tangible product, a thing that is going to drive revenue. Maybe it's going to open up a new revenue stream. Maybe it's a modernization of an old thing and that has to be better. This design system business that we're talking about, this sounds like meta work. This sounds like busy work. This sounds like very expensive work that is not going to actually lead <laughs> to any return on investment. And I'm just going to be honest. When I hear design ops or when I hear product ops, I think, oh, no. Oh, no, I have really smart, talented people who are like figuring out meta work that is a real work and that's going to create more work for us and it's going to be expensive. I, <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed saying this to the person who wrote the book about design systems, but I think that this is a mindset. I think that this is a real mindset. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about that. How do you see a return on investment? How do you see this as like this is going to propel our business forward? How do you draw that line? Because it's real money. I mean, designers are expensive. Good ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. real. So many good things to talk about there. So first of all, I agree with this executive, right? So an executive that says that to me and they're, they're like, convince me otherwise. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm on your side about this. Like, I don't, I don't disagree with any of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the like, well, first of all, that's a, that's also a tactic too, which is like, hey, I'm on your side. <laughs> yeah, right? so, smart. I'm a salesperson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good salesperson, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also true, right? And maybe that's what makes me a good salesperson is that it's true there's a big contingent of folks right now who talk about design systems and the value of positioning it as infrastructure. And I'm like, I get the value of that. I just disagree with that positioning on it because then it becomes a cost center immediately. Yes. If you think about it as ops, if you think about it as a as infrastructure, then it's operational. It, it comes out of a different budget even. Yes. Like the way that it's allocated, the way that it's paid for, the way that it's funded comes out of a different bucket of money than other things come out of. And what comes out of the other bucket of money? Usually things that the company looks favorable upon. 
Right? They go like, that thing was really cool. That was worth the investment. Infrastructure usually isn't that kind of stuff. So I don't agree with the positioning that we should talk about design systems as infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I think about it like, let's talk about where it actually has business impact, but we're not trained at talking about how it has business impact. I just had this conversation yesterday with somebody that I was coaching on a design system team. Mm-hmm. You know, What is it that design system designers and engineers usually do? Is they go, let's talk about the business impact of modals. And I'm like, modals don't have business impact. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just not there to be had. Yeah. What does have business impact is what you put in those modals, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. if you're messaging about new products that are coming out and you're using modals to do that, that has business impact. If you are using, you know, whatever tool tips to be able to instruct the user about how to upgrade their plan, mm-hmm. that has business impact. So when designers and engineers go to executives and say, we want to spend time on modals and footers, Executives like, what are you talking about? Why would we do that? But if you go to an executive and you say, I would like to spend time on messaging our customers on their upgrade path, now we're we're having a different conversation now. And design system folks generally don't have the practice, right? They don't have the muscle memory. They don't have the muscles to do that because they've never done that, that. They've never had that kind of conversation before. So this is what I mean about talking in specifics. Like, let's not talk about modals. That's talking about abstract things and generic things. Let's talk about things that you put in the modal. And you know that you're going to do this through good abstraction and through scaling, but you don't have to sell that part, right? To me, the, the parallel is like, it's like saying, well, what we're going to do is we're going to use this line of CSS on this thing. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, no it executive cares, like, no cares, about, cares what, about that. What CSS right. properties you're using? Right. Like, right. what are you talking about? What yeah. I'm going to do is I'm going to pour concrete in this box and I'm going to wait for it to dry. <laughs> exactly. And then I'm going to put the, and it's like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you build a house. Why are you explaining chemistry? Right, right, right. Like, we don't need to know that. Right. It's that idea. It's like we got to talk about the business impact of this stuff. And the business impact is usually in the specificity because that's where you can tie it to OKRs, to organizational goals, to things like that. You can't really tie, you know, cards to organizational goals. I remember working with a sportswear company and we had that conversation. I remember sitting in front of an executive and he was like, why are we talking about cards? And it wasn't until we shifted the conversation to actually the way that we do product cards here actually can be consolidated in a way that it helps us sell two or three different lines this way. And he was like, oh, that makes more sense. Let's talk about how we do that. And it wasn't a conversation about design systems. Design systems were just the vehicle. Mm-hmm. It was a conversation about product and revenue and, you know, and the things that actually move business impact. So like, we need more reps in talking about that kind of stuff. I think design system engineers and designers and product owners, they just don't have the reps. And because what's attractive to them is the abstraction of it, right? right. Is that idea. They want to be removed right. from business impact. Mm-hmm. Right, but the reality so, is it's an implementation detail. Like, you know. Sure. From one point of view, right? That's right. right. Yep. So if you think about implementing a product feature that is going to have business impact, but you think about doing it in a design systems, you know, manner of thinking or manner of acting, does it take longer? Like, is it more effort? And if so, why would I want to do that, right? If I'm the exec? Yeah, 100%. It takes longer. It it takes more effort. It's more difficult, right? So all of those things and more. Why do you want to do that as an exec? Because it's an investment. And there's there's one other thing that I want to say about this is like the way that most people sell design systems is they have an idea for a design system and what it would do. And then they go and pitch it. And they go, we need a million bucks. Because that's usually that's about what it costs, you know, it, it plus or minus. It's a, about a million dollars a year mm-hmm. to fund a design system, have a dedicated team on it, get the training and the licenses and all that kind of stuff. About a million bucks a year. So that's not chump change. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. So when you go to an executive and you go, give us a million bucks because we have a good idea, 
what would you expect him to say? Of course, they're going to say no. They would be, again, back to the startup metaphor. It'd be like going to a VC and be like, we have an idea. Give us a million bucks. Right. Most VCs, unless you're someone special, unless you're someone who already has a track record or, you know, a former founder or whatever, they're going to laugh you out of the room. They're going to say, like, come back to us when you have some traction with, with users. So that's the way that we need to pitch design systems is we need to actually build traction first and then get buy-in to fund scaling that traction, increasing that traction, not to start the traction. Because essentially you're funding vaporware. Right. So I think that's part of the buy-in quest too, is like you have to build traction already on your own in a small way, and then you get executive buy-in to then fund the scaling of, of that traction. So I think that's, you know, that's definitely one part of it. Once you're doing that, then the conversation changes. And what you're pitching the executive is not, I have a good idea, help fund it so that we could see if it actually works. It's, we have this thing that's already going and we already have some traction. So what does that look like? We worked with two teams and we saved them an average of about two weeks on their product sprint. That's huge. So, okay, yeah. if we were to do this with 20 teams, we think we could save 20 weeks worth. Now we can translate that into business metrics. We can say that actually saves us X amount of dollars. So yes, you put a million dollars over the year. We think it'll return $2 million over the year. Right. By Who this wouldn't time. invest a dollar to get two? Right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, the conversation changes. Right. Yes, it's an investment, but you have to look at the return, right? If you're getting 100% return, that's a pretty good investment. Right. <laughs> that's and, pretty I mean, good. Beat the stock market. Yeah, yeah right. right. And being able to say, like, this is the point at which we earn back our, your initial investment, and this is the yes. potential to go above and beyond. Your, your million bucks is going to turn into. That's huge. I mean, I, I think there is a misconception about venture capital that you do just go say, I have a great idea. You're right. <laughs> and you get money. That is not true. It's you not true. have to show that the, there's a market for the thing that you, you have to have users to start. Yep. So, Dan, do you think that it's important? My, my, my brain immediately goes to staffing because we run an agency and that's what we do. Um, when we talk about a dedicated team working on a design system, there's some part of my brain is like, you know, it would be really good if a designer was like staff 50% on an actual product that's shipping and then 50% on the design system because that person could be the bridge between, you know, the, be both the customer and the creator of the system and can be that person who is on, kind of in both worlds, right? Because if you have someone totally dedicated to the system, they're thinking about, the system and maybe not the actual products that are going out into the world and the thing that users are touching. Do you have an opinion on that? Or is it just, does the stage, the, the, the point of maturity of the thing uh, determine that? Yeah, I have an opinion on that. Lots of people have opinions on that. There's really good articles written by people like Gina Ann and Nathan Curtis around different models of staffing a design team. And the one that you're talking about is a popular one. It's called the cyclical model, which is like the idea that someone would maybe be part-time on a design system team or kind of an ops team and then part-time on a product or a feature team. And I think what that does, it, it builds good empathy, right? So, so that's great. Yeah. Like, I think there are other ways to do that, but I think that's a really good model. A lot of folks have run that successfully. I think when Gina Ann was at Salesforce, she had talked about that model, you know, working there. I know a lot of teams have done that. I think what is tough about it is that people try to implement it from the very start. And I think it's tough to implement a cyclical model when you don't even know what you're actually doing quite yet. So I think a cyclical model is something that you can move toward. I think it's tough to start with that, or at least from my experience, the teams that I've worked with have had a lot of trouble kind of doing that because what often happens is they go, oh yeah, well, let's have the cyclical model and it automatically puts them in part-time territory. And then they're expected to actually have full-time gains or full-time mm. returns with a part-time status. And I think it just sets the expectations poorly about what that model can actually prove and what that model can actually serve. So I, I think it's a little bit of a, a later stage in, in the model. I think full-time is the place to start and then reducing to part-time eventually you know, is possible. But to me, it's simpler to go like, it's a feature, it's a product that needs a team. 
Mm-hmm. You know, just like every other product that at our company, if we have something that's customer facing, yes, of course, we dedicate a team to it, even if it's two people or three people, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a simpler model to figure that out. Because there's a lot of mechanics to things like cyclical models where, okay, so we have like a six month tour of duty, or how long do we rotate? And then, you know, who rotates in? Does everybody rotate out at the same point? Or like, right. do we have overlap? So there's a lot to figure out in that. And so I think that it's a bit more of a mature model. And so I generally tend to go, like, let's get set first and then let's figure out what kind of models that we have. That said, there have been mature teams that have done that really well. I think Etsy, I don't know if they still do this, but I think Etsy at some point had a, something similar where people could opt in and out of teams mm. and say, like, I want to do six months on there and I want to have six months you know, over there. And that was a larger design thing. It wasn't just to the, on the design system. It was design ops. It was like, you know, you can go anywhere you want. And design system was just another one of the teams that you can go on. And I think that's the state that we want to get to is like everyone sees it as just another feature team just another product team that's dedicated the same way funded the same way is just as important as all the other ones like i think that's the status that we want design system teams to get to not there's some other weird thing that like they have their own model and they have their own staffing and their own funding it just ends up being other and i think you want to be like everyone else when you're a design system team yep do you think that people starting on their design system journey should start from scratch or should they take something else that's out there and build on it? I think this is another Lauren Lepret thing. I'll just quote her, you know, for, forever. <laughs> I think it was her that said, like, there's always a system. So no one is, is ever starting from scratch. There is always a system. Oh, it just might not be apparent. Mm. It, it just might not be codified. But there's always something there, right? So if you think about something as simple as, I mean, we all use brand red. We don't have to have a design token that represents brand red. Like we all use it. Now we all might use slightly different shades of it across teams, right? And that leads to the inconsistency, but we all use it. And that's a form of a system. Like system just means like a, a way of doing things that's connected. Mm. So like, you know, the connection part is a little bit loose there, but it's still kind of a way of doing things. We all know how to do this thing. We all know how to use brand red or we all know how to use the corporate typeface. We might not just be following the rules well enough because the rules aren't with us, you know, when we need them. So those are the kinds of things that, to me, the, the way that I talk about it with teams is that design system designers or engineers are not people that need to create the system. They need to collect the system because mm. it's already it's always there especially because when I work with enterprise teams, they have a lot of products in flight, even if they don't have a design system. So they've got customers are using hundreds of products and they have you know hundreds of thousands of customers using these things. So how do you build a design system in that mist? Well, what you do is you collect things that are already there, are already a system. Like, hey, we, we already do this thing a bunch of times. Let's just put it somewhere so that it's more easily accessible. So that's the thing that that I encourage teams to do is like go look for something that's already happening three or more times. It might be happening in a messy way. It might be happening in an awkward way. It might be not happening on purpose. But let's go collect the things that are already common. And the way that I like to talk about designs is, is I like to talk about things that are common, not necessarily things that are... I don't like words like foundational or words like standards because I think they mm-hmm. divert from what a design system team actually is. So when teams are like are building their, their first design system, and they go, let's call it foundations. I'm like, Ugh, I think that sets the wrong precedent. I said, let's call it common. Because it's really, it's the common stuff that we're putting in there, not necessarily the foundational stuff for lots of reasons, but I like calling it common. And in order for it to be common, you cannot create something that is common. 
if you create it, it's new, which means it's not common. <laughs> it can only be common after it's been used a bunch of, of times. Right. Even just the wording of that, it kind of makes you think about something different or think about the work differently. That's why that I've been successful doing it is, let's go see what's common. There's always something common. It just always. might not be noticeable enough. So let's call it common. Let's put it in a place and then let's spread the word about it. And that is a good place to start. This is this is so true. When groups of humans get together to do something, ways of working emerge. I mean, this is true for, you know, culture. This is true for engineering. There's just there's ways of working. And I really like this framing because I think that you can think about a design system as a bunch of like very high minded, highfalutin designers getting together and declaring the correct and right and perfect way <laughs> that you should do the thing. And, and then look down <laughs> from right. their ivory tower there's at all the actual right yeah. as a, at all the actual actual limitations and go, got that color wrong. Oh, that's high face. Not right. You know, right. I can't believe you're not compliant. Right. And then everyone's just like, oh, these guys, you know, and that's how you get a ghost down. Right. That's exactly right. Nobody likes the design police. Right. Nobody likes the design police. Right. And if you're saying we are making the common ways of working explicit versus implicit because they exist <laughs> whether or not we acknowledge it, i think that's so that's so important right like this is the way that we're all you know together deciding right because how to work together right yeah i think a lot of folks are drawn to design system work because they want to be the design police they don't realize that they want to be the design police i think it comes from a good place they're so frustrated yes. about the lack of standards the lack of yes. consistency the, the, they can see what it could be yes. and so they go i want to be the person to set it right and like, I think that's a well-intentioned thing, but it's like, that's a hard place to start from. You know, that, that's yeah. a hard place to, to say like, w- my way of doing things or our way of doing things is better than yours. Right. And now I have to yours. convince you to use it. Right. Oh, that's, that's a tough sell. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's real yep. tough. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but as, as a person who notices details that aren't the best practice and desperately just wants to fix it with a golden rule oh, totally. that I can just hang over. I really I get, empathize I, with that I, I person. I really empathize. Yeah. I really empathize. Totally. Yes. Same. Same. <laughs> yeah. 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 You just want to make everything better. That comes from a good place. Yeah but maybe not received well. Yeah, it's totally that. I think a, a better place is what our job is, is it's a service job, you know, as design system designers yes. or engineers or pro- it's a service job. So what we're going to do is we're going to collect all of the great stuff that is already happening here and we're going to celebrate the people who did it. It's not our stuff. I'm not making mm-hmm. a new dropdown and then convincing everybody that my dropdown is better than their dropdown and they should use my dropdown. As a, like, th- that's a tough sell. Instead, I'm going to go, you know what? That one over there is really, really good. Chris's dropdown that he made is excellent. So let's put Chris's dropdown here because people are already picking that up. They just want an easier way to do it. And let's celebrate Chris for making something that's really good that other people here want to use. Like there's already traction there. So let's be the firepower of the accelerant underneath that. You know, we can be the we can be that team. We can be the team that that highlights people, that celebrates people, that elevates their work, that centralizes their work. We can be the team that does that. And I think that's a much better posture for people to want to be your friends and use the thing that you make. Yeah. Such a good technique. Yeah, makes it makes sense. That's the thing. You got it has to be used. For it to be successful, it has to be used. And for it to be used, it's got to be embraced by, you know, the 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 many teams, the disparate teams across your organization. So if you're not thinking about that, if you're not um, investing in in that part of it, then it's not working, right? The job is never done here. Like you always have to be pushing out your work, just like as you think about, you know, when you release a product, it's not done when 1.0 goes out the door. Like you've got to keep investing in it and thinking about it and evolving it. And the same thing is true of a, a really good design system and a way, a, a way of working is the job never stops. 
this is why I'm so bullish about ghost towns and graveyards. It's like I've worked with so many organizations that have beautiful design systems that no one has ever used. Like gorgeous, like beautiful design and art direction, excellent code, well-crafted, well-written, well-architected. No one's ever used it. So it's like, so what mm-hmm. was the point of all that? Like it, now right. it's just you, know, just, you just made like a museum piece, <laughs> you know? Right, and like, right, and I right. think that, that doesn't help people. That doesn't help the people that you want to use it. It doesn't even help you as the maker of that thing because, you know, for p- most people who are making things, they want people to use the things that they make. Right. So, you That's know, right. so we got to do it a different way if we want this stuff to really be used and, and be adopted. Do you think that one of the main objections to using a design system, though, like I'm imagining the product leader or the team leader saying, you know, the thing that we're building is special and unique and I can't be hemmed in by these standards. Like we're innovating over here. We need things that your design system doesn't cover. So I just, you know what, I, I need to, you know, I need to think big here. I don't want to think inside of, of an established system. Have you heard that? Have you gotten that? Because I think, I think oh, sometimes yeah. <laughs> teams, you know, ignore design systems for that reason. Like, you know what, we just want a blue sky, blank slate. Like we want to be limited here. You know, innovation happens when you're starts from scratch. This is why I love stories so much because... When we don't tell the stories and we just resort to the definitions and the like what it should be and the objectivity and all that stuff, I think a lot of assumptions sneak in with that, you know, that are unstated. And one of the assumptions that I see in like almost every time and I'm like, where did this come? Like, I wish I knew where this came from. One of the assumptions that comes in is once we have a design system, everything that we design and build will come from the design system. 100% coverage. And I'm like, what? That seems weird. <laughs> like, why, right. why that? Why, like, (laughs) why would you assume 100% coverage? Like, that's just not. (laughs) Why would we do that? Like, even if we could do that, why would we do that? That seems odd. (laughs) But I think that's the assumption that a lot of people have because no one, like, people don't think that far usually. They just go, like, oh, well, if only we just got to the point where we had this, then we could talk about using it. And so they think, well, anything less than 100% usage or 100% adoption or 100% coverage is not good enough. And I'm like, Mm. I don't think that that's right at all. So what I try to do with teams is I try to give them explicit permission to do their own thing. And and what I tell them is, let's start with an 80-20 rule. At the most, your interface that you're designing or building should be 80% made up of stuff in the design system. At most, if it's 40, cool. If it's 10, cool. Like if you use one component, awesome. That's great. Like if we saved you two weeks that you didn't have to build that thing from scratch, that's great. Our job is well done. Hopefully it helps you. Yes, you still have to do other work. You would be doing that anyway, right? So we're not losing anything. We just save you a week here and there. Maybe, you know, as it gets more mature, three weeks, four weeks. Awesome. That's great. And the other side of that is, and we encourage you and we in fact want you to at least 20% of your interface should be designed and built from scratch by your team because that's what you're here for. And when yeah. I say that to teams, they go, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, we're, yeah. we're fine with that. <laughs> right. You know, it, right. it, it makes Deal sense. Deal with the interesting problems. To, right. To, like, use, use the stuff that's useful and then build the, the stuff that's new and important. You know, right. That makes a lot of sense. And then what they find is they go, okay, 80% stuff with the design system. And then they find how difficult it is to actually power 80% of their interface with the design. And they go, oh, but it's okay, though, that we just did 10% this time. Because maybe next time we'll get to 15%. Maybe by the time we do our next sprint or our next epic or, you know, whatever that our next project, maybe there'll be more in the design system that we could actually cover more of the stuff so that it saves us time so that 80% of our project time is actually taken up 
by the 20% of interesting things that we're doing. Like, exactly. And we could actually reverse that. We, you know, whereas right now, we're spending 80% of our time reinventing the wheel, right? And then we only have 20% of our time to do like the really cool stuff that, that we want to do. And so like, it just opens that door to go like, we want you to do some cool custom stuff. And we want you to use the design system where, where it helps you. Like that seems like a pragmatic approach. And I think that kind of opens the door to like, okay, so how realistic are both of those targets anyway? And what they realize is like, oh, we're not even close to any one of those. We actually can create our own split of what feels right for us. And I think that's the point. It's like, find your split that works right for you where you're not reinventing the wheel, you're saving some time and you get time to spend on the cool stuff too. That seems like a, a good split. The new stuff. Yeah, and I imagine in a healthy culture that has a design system practice that, you know, the new stuff or the new innovation, it's like, oh, is this a candidate to roll back into the system? Like that'd be, yes. that would be, you know, a huge feather in my cap as yes. a designer of this organization. That's where true contribution comes from, right? It's like, right. if everything is powered by the design system, we will never make anything new and we'll never have anything to contribute right. back into a design system. Like, right. so right. we have to make new stuff. That's the point. Right. Otherwise, our company innovation is stifled right there. The design system becomes the ceiling of innovation for our company, but it should be the floor. I mean, there's also the opposite, I think, misperception for an executive or a leader who feels like, well, we have a great design system. We have 100% coverage. And that means that I can put a web producer or a marketing person or an editorial person, I can hand them this, you know, toolkit of components and they can just kind of drag and drop a bunch of things onto a page and boom, we've got a new landing page. And, and you know, anyone, we don't need designers anymore because we just have these a bunch of reasonable components, right? Isn't that what that means? <laughs> Unfortunately, that is what it has meant for a lot of organizations. And I think those are organizations, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm overgeneralizing a bit here, but I think those are organizations who have not tackled the value that design brings to their organization. They haven't crossed that bridge. They haven't even had that conversation. So of course, they're going to see it as like, oh, this is a way that we can automate some of the work that is expensive for us, that, that right. is a commodity to us. So if they right. see design as a commodity in the organization, then yes, a design system is a, a good way to accelerate that. So they haven't had that conversation. What does design actually mean here? Because if they had that conversation, then hopefully they would realize like design means something more. We got to get our designers out of the commoditized world. We got we to gotta stop our designers from designing tables you know, I've met so many designers that are like, the last seven years of my career, I just designed tables. It's like seven years? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, yep. it's so sad. And so, like, let's get them out of that world. Let's promote them into something else. Let's elevate them into doing something more than pushing pixels around. You know, some designers enjoy that, and that's cool. Let them live there. Some designers don't, but what else is there to do? You know, and so I think that's that becomes a problem. And if and organizations that haven't solved that problem or even like talked about that problem could easily see a design system as like, oh, we could just reduce our design workforce by 80% now because because we got all this stuff that designers would do anyway. You know, and I think those are the same organizations that are threatened by AI and threatened by automation. Yes. And you know, I think mm -hmm. it, it all kind of comes in the same package. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. So Dan, where can people get this book? I feel like, you know, hopefully if you're listening to this, it's triggering some thoughts. You know, what I appreciated about the book is it's not academic. It's not philosophy. It's not like, here are the best ways to do it. It's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Like, what are what is the practical guidance that you can use to, you know, put a design system or this way of thinking into practice on your team at your organization? So I, I hope people connect to it. If they do, where can they get the book? Yeah, cool. DesignThatScales.com uh, is the book's website. 
If you can, please buy it from my publisher, Rosenfeld Media. Support independent, local, small publishers, indie. You know, I think that's an important thing. That's part of the Love reason it. that I publish with Great. them. If you can't get it from them because of where you live or where they don't ship to, then you can get it on Amazon. I would hope that you do it in that order, please. If you do buy it from Rosenfeld, you get the ebook for free too. So that's a good incentive to, to do that. So that's where you can find it, you know, designthescales.com. And if that doesn't ship to you, then you could probably find it on, on Amazon. Wonderful. Fantastic. And I encourage everyone to subscribe to Dan's uh, LinkedIn newsletter and to even just check out your site at danmall.com. So, so you've made a career out of serving clients, but also just sharing what you know and what you've learned. And I just have such great respect and admiration. I've really benefited from a lot of your insights and I just appreciate it. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, I, I think, you know, to the something you said earlier, I think that's the first time that's ever been said. I, I got some value out of a LinkedIn newsletter. So uh, <laughs> maybe I can get a LinkedIn sponsorship or something for that. I'll be the first. <laughs> There you go. Oh, well, we absolutely loved having you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time, Dan. It was so great to catch up and talk to you. Congratulations on publishing the book. That is no small thing. No, it's a huge accomplishment. It's a huge accomplishment. It is a big deal. It's really great. We're going to link the book and and a few things that we discussed today and and where to find Dan in the show notes. And yeah, thanks for everyone for listening. Chris, what is launch? I was supposed to do the spiel in the beginning of the show, but I didn't. So Launch by NTT Data is a group that does high-end, design-driven, product-led custom software development for clients. That's right. And we love building big, beautiful platforms for the internet. We work with clients large and small. We have big enterprise clients. We have startups. We have everything in between. And we staff cross-functional teams of product managers, designers, and engineers who come together to actually put great software out into the world. We're not going to give you the PowerPoint deck. We're not going to give you, you know, the guidance on how you should be doing it. We're going to ship a product and we're going to talk to your users and help you achieve something for your business. So that's what we're looking for. We love talking to people. And sometimes that starts with a conversation about a challenge. Come talk to us. We would love to have that conversation with you. We love hearing from you. Send us a note, catalyst at nttdata.com. We read everyone. We'll talk to you all soon. Bye.